The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 34 to 52. The word of God speaks to us like this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And, he, and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the lows, but their hearts were hardened. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be, Thanks to, be God. to God. Thank you, Julie. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I get the privilege, uh, if you don't know, uh, I, I get the privilege of leading our church in the efforts of church planning and church strengthening. And by church, I don't just mean Frontline Yukon. Uh, if you've come in here and, and you're new here, you may not realize that Frontline Yukon is actually a, one of the congregations of Frontline Church. We're one church in five congregations. Uh, and there are, there are beautiful ways in which that enables us to do ministry on the ground in places like Yukon. That's easier. Uh, you, Frontline Downtown would not be able to reach into Yukon in the same way that we're able to here. And yet we get to partner with them in planting churches, serving our city, learning from one another, making decisions together in a way that actually makes all of our congregations better. And so uh, if you're new to the church, I just want you to know that actually what you're a part of is not just what's happening here, but you're actually connected to four other congregations across our metro and other church plants across the country and actually around the world that uh, we're working together to see, uh, to, to see uh, for us to be able to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. Um, hey, this morning, I'm going to dive into this text, and, and in one sense, I think there, there's, a, there's a challenge when we face a text that's familiar. Now, maybe it's not, maybe there's two stories that, that Julie just read aren't familiar to you, but if you grew up in the church, you likely have heard these stories before. 
And there's actually a danger sometimes at approaching the familiar because we think we know the answers before we ever even learn what questions we need to ask. And so what I want us to do is I want us to dive into this. So I'm going to ask you to pray for me. I'm going to pray for you uh, that actually God himself would speak to us as he spoke to his disciples here, maybe in ways that we don't yet understand. So God, would you speak to us this morning? Would you give us understanding? Would you help us see um, past the, 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 the familiarity of a passage and, and even see past the miraculous nature of the of, of this, these stories specifically to see what it is you're teaching us in this. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new here, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark as a church over the last couple of months, and we will be for a while still to come. Uh, the Gospel of Mark tells the story of who Jesus is. The, the, these Gospel accounts of Jesus are not, they're not mere biopics. It wasn't that we have the Gospels because we didn't have 30 for 30 yet. That's not why these, these stories exist or these books exist. These books exist because they are helping us understand who Jesus really is. The first couple of verses of Mark 1 tell us very clearly, and it, and it tells us where the book is going. That it's not just saying, hey, there's this guy named Jesus, he's kind of cool. But rather, there are promises that have been made in the Old Testament that have been passed on from generation to generation to generation to generation that are right now being fulfilled in your midst. That's what Mark is saying. The prophecies, the promises in the Old Testament that had been made for years previous are now being fulfilled. And what we've seen right now in Mark so far is that Jesus has come on the scene, but he hasn't come on the scene uh, doing, doing a CNN profile and trying to blast his name, get his name recognition out there. He's not trying to look for good Twitter followers. He's, he steps into obscurity, and he just begins to love like God loves. He begins to serve those that are near to him. He begins to teach in ways that, that baffled the teachers of the day. He began to do miracles that nobody saw coming. And he often went to the people that everybody else in society said, leave them aside, ignore them. This is what he did. And we've been walking through, and you can go back to our sermon archives and look at, uh, at some of the other sermons in this series, and we just see God, or see Jesus revealing who he is in ways that we probably didn't expect. There's a tendency for all of us to often miss what's right underneath our nose. The other day, uh, one of my daughters and I were driving past a, a farm up here just south of Surrey Hills, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, they have bison. I didn't know they had bison. And Kenna's like, uh, yeah, Dad, they've had them for a while. I just missed it. Like, I've driv I drive that road all the time, and I just missed it. I didn't see it. There, there are ways in which sometimes we can be so familiar that we miss details right around us. And, and sometimes it's not familiarity. Sometimes we miss things because life is just too busy. We're running from space to space. Sometimes we miss them because life right now feels like a fog. Depression, anxiety, concerns have so clouded our vision that we can't see things right in front of us. And sometimes we miss things due to either intense joy or intense pain. But this passage right here not only are we prone to miss some of the key elements in this text, the disciples themselves missed it. The disciples themselves missed the whole point of these stories. You see, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is familiar to many of us. 
If you grew up in Sunday school at all or grew up in church at all, you probably have, well, most of you are young enough that flannel graphs had already been uh, archived and, uh, and, and, and put in the dust bins of history. Uh, but for some of us, we still, we learned about these stories from, from flannel boards. If you don't know what flannel boards is, don't worry about it. Um, we, we, we've heard this story, and maybe you're not, maybe you didn't grow up in church, but you've probably, or you might have heard of this story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. What I, want, what I want to do is I want to back up and read the verses leading into this. And I want us to, to hone in on a detail that's easy to skip over. This is in Mark 6, starting in verse 30. You see, the, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a, in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And listen to this. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The story is picking up where Chad left off two weeks ago. What Bryce talked last week was an interlude in our story that's actually really important and connects the pieces. But as Chad talked about two weeks ago, Jesus has sent his disciples out on mission into the surrounding towns to do the ministry that he had been doing, and this was their first time. This is their first time. And they, and they go off in this ministry, and I don't know exactly all the things they saw, but I'm guessing that they saw some things that were pretty awesome and some things that made them want to quit the ministry right then. I know enough about ministry to imagine that they came back full of both hope and also despair. But regardless, they came back exhausted. Exhausted. They've done this ministry. They've been out here uh, leading and engaging people in Galilee. And they come back and they're exhausted. And Jesus notices and he says, hey guys, let's go on a retreat. And they're on their way to a retreat. They're on their way to a place where nobody else can find them, where they can rest when a crowd swarms. Now, Jesus could have said, not, not now, not now. And it's right sometimes to say not now. But in this moment, Jesus saw something and he moved right towards it. It says he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd. Now, that passage may not, or that phrase may not really mean much to us. Um, there aren't a lot of sheep herds around Yukon, are there? Maybe a couple, but not a lot of them. And definitely not the kind of sheep herds that, we're, that, that the first century was used to. But in the midst of this, what, they, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, or what Jesus says is that he sees them like sheep without a shepherd, that to any Jewish thinker, they would have immediately known what he was referring to. You see, in the book of Numbers, which is one of the first five books of the Jewish Bible, Moses has led Israel out of out of slavery in Egypt, and he has led them into a wilderness on his way to the promised land. And as he nears the end of his life, as he has led, as he has led Israel out of, out of slavery into deliverance, he hits a point where he knows he's about to die and the baton needs to be passed to somebody else. And he says, and the phrase in the text is that they need a leader like Moses lest they be a sheep without a shepherd. You see, when we hear that phrase, I think we tend to think of nice, cuddly Thomas Kincaid paintings. We've got the shepherd with a nice, clean, white linen, cuddling a little lamb, right? I mean, if, you're, if you've been around sheep, you know you can't keep anything white, white, 
right? And that's the image that we have of a shepherd. We have this sense of this kind of soft, cuddly um, uh, protector. And yet in, in the Old Testament, this is the sign of a warrior and a leader. Moses himself is a shepherd to the sheep, and they now need another one. Fast forward to 1 Kings 17, and then the same story is picked up in 2 Chronicles 18. And what we find is a, a time in which Ahab, who was a wicked king, we talked about him back a number of weeks ago uh, in, in, a, in another sermon, that Ahab was a wicked king, and a prophet came and said to him, hey, you're about to die, and the people of Israel are going to be a sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they're going to be a people in need of a leader, but without a leader. And this is who... Jesus sees. He sees them as a people in need of a leader. The Old Testament goes on in Ezekiel 34, and it picks up the same image again. And I think this is really critical. I want you to listen to this. It's Ezekiel 34. We're going to read a couple of verses in this chapter. Verse 8. My sheep, this is God talking, my sheep have become a prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. You see this? This is the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Skip to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 15. I myself, again, remember this is God speaking. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. That little phrase that we can skip over so easily brings so much meaning. You see, the people, the, the crowd that gathered around Jesus, in this phrase and others, you can start seeing, this is not simply a bunch of people who are like, hey, you do really cool miracles, Jesus, and you teach a lot. There's actually a political anxiety in the midst here. This is picked up really explicitly in the Gospel of John when he tells the same story. In the same story there, he says, uh, as this crowd gathers, they gathered in order to take Jesus to Jerusalem to make him king. This crowd was not simply somebody who had heard that Jesus was a really dynamic speaker. Like, hey, you should come to this conference. It's going to be lit. That's not what's going on. They're like, hey, we need a leader, and that's a guy we want to follow. Let's go make him our king now. The political anxieties were high. The political expectations were high. These were people who were desperate. They were desperate. Their leaders were not leading well. The nation was not thriving. And the anxieties had risen. You see, they wanted Jesus to be a sword that they could wield. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to be a sword that they could wield. They wanted him to march into Jerusalem, take the throne, and alleviate their fears. They wanted force and they wanted it now. But Jesus is about to reveal something very different to them. Let's pick back up where we left off. 
He's been, he sees them as a people, a sheep without a shepherd. He begins to teach them. He teaches them all day long. And then we pick this up in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They're trying to help Jesus out. They're like, hey dude, I think you lost track of time and these guys are hungry. Matter of fact, they're hungry, I'm hungry. Can we go get some grub? And he answered to them. This is fascinating. He answered to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. <laughs> and, they, and they said to him, um, Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, which is almost a year's worth of salary, uh, 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? See, they would have carried a little bit of food with them. So he said, go check the, go check the packs. Tell me what we got. And when they found out, they said, we got five loaves of bread and two fish. And you could, you could almost just feel, you can almost just feel something in the disciples' eyes like, Jesus, stop being silly. You know we've only got a Happy Meal worth. You know that's all we got. And then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups, by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them the, to the disciples to set before the people. And they divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now what's notice is the people came to Jesus with their political anxieties, waiting for him to crush the enemies of chaos around them. And what he does is he sits them down in a field and has a meal. It's really critical. But this isn't just a meal. This isn't just a miracle. This isn't just Jesus showing off. This is actually a sign pointing to something else. And this is where both the crowd and the disciples missed it. Jesus is not just showing off. He's giving them a sign that something greater is going on. He's giving them a sign of a greater deliverance that they need. Jesus is actually making an unbelievable claim here. Because in Israel's history, there was only one person who fed the people when they had no food in the desolate place. Who was it? God. When, when God led Israel out of Egypt through this wilderness area onto the promised land, there were times where they say, we have nothing to eat. And Jesus feeds them with manna and feeds them with quail and gives them water out of a rock. And what Jesus does, he's in the middle of a desolate place with nothing to eat. He sets a banquet and we got leftovers, y'all. That's what happens. You see, Jesus is saying to them something that they missed. He's not just a miracle worker. He is God himself. He is God himself. And he is their shepherd. As God promised to be their shepherd, Exodus 34, Jesus shows up to be their shepherd. The disciples were supposed to see it, but the disciples missed it. Disciples missed it. They did not understand the meaning behind the miracle. Jesus didn't stop there. He gives them that sign, and he goes on to give them another sign. Let's keep reading Mark 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. 
And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which was about 3 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. <laughs> he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it's me. Do not be afraid. And they got into the boat with him, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. But listen to this phrase. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, it was a common expectation in Israel at this time, both among the religious leaders and the teachers. And you'll see this in some ancient writings um, between the prophet Malachi and between Jesus arriving. You find a lot of Jewish religious leaders were talking about the one day that Messiah would come. This Messiah of God would be a deliverer for the people, much like Moses, but an even greater deliverer would come and he would lead Israel on an even greater exodus. This was prevailing thought, both through the Old Testament prophets, the, this exodus idea is brought up, and um, in, in the common culture at the time. This expectation was one day God is going to send a deliverer that's going to lead us on a new exodus, a better exodus, a bigger exodus. That's what they are expecting. And if you go back to the book of Exodus, this whole time, this exodus of Israel is marked by at least three things. It's marked by the voice and the presence of Yahweh. It's marked by his provision of food in the wilderness. And it's marked by a, a strange passage through the sea on foot. Those three things mark the exodus. And what do we see in our text this morning? We see Jesus' presence with his people as a shepherd to a sheep in need of a shepherd, teaching them and speaking to them words of life. And you see him feeding them in a desolate place when they had no food. And you see him walking on the waves. Walking on the waves. That in this way, what Jesus is showing them is that he's not simply feeding their faces. He's not just teaching nice morals. He's not just showing off in power. He is revealing who he truly is. He's given them a sign to point to him being a new deliverer, pointing to a new exodus. That's what's going on. He's bringing them up into something bigger. They have, they have become so focused on the anxieties around them that they can't actually look up and see what's really in front of them. They can't see what's really in front of them. In the, in the scripture, we have these signs, these miracles or these things that happen that point us to greater realities. And, and in, this, in these two stories here, there is both a sign pointing backwards and signs pointing forwards. The signs pointing backwards are showing us that as God shepherded his people through the exodus, so he's doing it again. It points them back to look at an exodus, a, a, a leading out of slavery into a place of freedom. It points back to leaders like Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha and the prophets who led Israel through these times. And then it looks forward. It looks backward and then it looks forward to a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom. He, he looks forward. He looks forward to a different kind of meal. This gets picked up in John as well, and, and it gets picked up later in this book, that what Jesus is showing in this meal is that he likes to have meals with his friends. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a little bit, and he points to the Lord's Supper in this moment as well. And he points to a future hope 
in a banquet with the, queen, with the king. You see, the point of these passages is not what Jesus can do. Yeah, he can feed 5,000 with a happy meal. Yeah, he can walk on water. But that's not the point of this text. The point of this text is, who is he? And the disciples missed it. It says that they did not understand about the loaves. Why? Because what Jesus is saying, what the text is saying is if their hearts weren't hardened by the expectations that they had of Jesus and that they had of Messiah and that they had of their moment, they would, ha- they would not have missed the sign that said, I am the new deliverer leading to a new exodus. But they did miss it. They did miss it. Jesus is declaring he is Messiah leading to a new exodus. So what's our takeaway from this? What's our takeaway from this? It's really easy to talk about them. It's really easy to talk about how they, how they missed something, how they shouldn't have missed something. It's really easy for us to focus on them. But, but my question is, what about for us in this room? What about for us in this room? What expectations do we bring when we think about Jesus? What do you think? What are expectations that you bring that you carry around with you. If Jesus was who he said he was, he would what? If Jesus is who he says he is, he would what? Fill in the blank. See, I think too many of us begin to see Jesus as merely a miracle worker or a magician, somebody who does really cool stuff, but we hope he'll stay out of the way on other aspects of our life. Now, Many of us, if we're, if we're Christ followers, if we've, if we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, many of us would never admit that. But I'm not so sure that sometimes that's not, as, that's not really where our hearts are at. That what I want is I want Jesus to show off for me, but I don't want him to tell me what to do with my life. Some of us just want him as a miracle worker. Some of us want him as a prophet, but we want him as a prophet to speak to somebody else, not to me. I want Jesus to blare loud on a blog or a podcast and I want him to declare what's true out there so that they'll recognize what's wrong and not actually allow him to speak to our own hearts. So often we want a Jesus who's merely a life coach. He's going to give us some advice and we can take it or leave it. Some of us see him as nothing more than a moralistic prude and so we've just walked away. You see, so often we, and I'm not talking about we Christians generally. I'm talking about us in this room. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. So often we want Jesus, but we want him on our terms. I want him on my terms. I want him to fit with my expectations. A couple of us got news this morning from a good friend who's just walking through a really dark time, news that they found out about this morning, and I want God to fix it. What would, what would change in our lives if we actually saw him as the deliverer leading us into Exodus? What would change? What would change if we actually saw him as the one who cares for our souls and cares for our well-being and is leading us from slavery into new life even when it doesn't look like it? How would that change the way we view him? How would that change the way we read the word? 
How would that change the way we pray and, and interact with our brothers and sisters? You see, Frontline Yukon, we are sheep with a good shepherd. Frontline Yukon, we are a people of the deliverer on our way to New Exodus. That's us. But too often we live as if this isn't true. We get caught up in anxieties trying to control things. What we want is we want to grasp Jesus right now and take him to the White House. We want to take Jesus and we want to put him on CNN or Fox News or the New York Times. We want, to have, we want him, his message blaring. We want him taking control. We want him taking the world by force and we want him to do it now. I want him to fix the pain I'm feeling. I want him to take away my depression like that. I want, I want, I want, and often in our wanting, we look to Jesus as a tool to use. Not as a shepherd to trust. See, I think Jesus is inviting us into something much better than force and power and now. He's leading us into peace and he's leading us into patience. See, the crowd that stirred was not peaceful. They were anxious. They were worried. They wanted Jesus to fix their situation. And they weren't patient. They wanted it now. And Jesus sits them down and he feeds them a meal and then he walks off. He's telling them, trust me. Sit in peace. You've got, you've got this sovereign God of the universe in control of this thing. And be patient. I'm not done yet. So what does Jesus do next? He continues on his ministry. Look at Mark 6, verse 30, 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And they ran about the whole region and began bringing the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And whenever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. You know what Jesus did when the disciples in the crowd didn't understand who he was? He kept doing what he does. He kept doing ministry. He moved towards the people. He didn't despise them. He didn't push them away because they didn't believe enough. He still moved towards them. Even when their hearts were hard, he came near. You see, the disciples weren't simply called to be heralds of good news. They were not simply to be ones that go out and procure good news. They are to be recipients of good news. They are to actually receive and even though they missed it, Jesus didn't stop being their king and he didn't stop being their Messiah. And one day, their eyes would be open to see him as he was. And my prayer is that this morning, our eyes will be open to see him as he is. I think when we see him, truly as the deliverer he is, truly as the shepherd he is, leading us into a new exodus as he is, we won't be a people marked by force and anxiety. We'll be a part, people marked by peace and patience. Not apathy, but peace and patience. 
So let me ask this as we close. Where, where do you tend to look for other rescuers? When Jesus doesn't show up on your timeline, he doesn't fit your expectations, where do you go? Some of you in the room would, would say, hey, I'm not a, Christ, I, I'm not a Jesus follower. I don't, I don't necessarily believe all this. I'm not sure what to do. I just want to ask you, where do you go when you're out of hope? Where do you go with your anxieties? Where do you run to to try to, try to p- procure peace? And I'll just say this straight up as loud as I can. You won't find peace apart from Jesus. Not ultimately, you won't. He's the only one that will carry you through the dark day. He's the only one that will carry you unto new exodus. He's the only one who can. And if you're not a Christ follower, if, you're, if you'd say, I, don't, I have not put my faith in him, I'm just going to call you today to step towards this promise and trust him. If you've got questions, we're going to have some people at the end of the service that would love to talk with you. But for those of you that are believers in the room, same thing applies. We so often are running after other heroes, other rescuers, other, other kings. And we're not resting in the fact that he knows us. He knows us. He is the one who feeds us. He is the one that leads us. And he is the one that protects us. And because that's true, we can be a people of peace, and we can be a people of patience.